How many of you are into the fall TV watching at this point in time, right? Your new series have started, right? And you're kind of getting the flow, different episodes. Um, thank goodness for DVRs. But, you know, we here at our church love to do series as well. And we're in the middle of a sermon series right now from the book of Galatians entitled Breaking Free. We've been looking at the heart of the gospel and understand the story that God has written. We've been getting a greater sense of God's perspective on who we are and our identities. We've been discovering how faith is the foundation of our relationship with God. Now, last week, Pastor Brian preached at the end of chapter 3. There's a good, good mug shot of him right there. Uh, <laughs> handsome guy that he is. <laughs> I love to embarrass him. Um, and really, the beginning of chapter 4, which really precedes where we're going today. Last week, we learned that the law was for a moment, that there was a designed, of planned obsolescence for the law. It was there for a period of time, but we knew it was going to go away. And it was just for there. We also discovered how Jesus came to fulfill the law and not to get rid of it. And we even looked at his words there. And lastly, we were invited to be part of God's family and really to think about what that looked like. And the way I describe it is, it's like last week, Brian was helping us, those of us who drive cars, to kind of adjust the rearview mirror, to have a look back to see what was back there to get a good perspective of what that was about. This week, we're going to be looking forward. Okay, we're going to be getting the idea of what happens and the sense of urgency of what's coming up ahead of us and some of the things that we're experiencing and how we may want to live life differently. And specifically, we're going to look at the idea of breaking free in chapters, chapter 4, verses 8 through 20, with a focus on the word of urgency. Urgency to get back on track. Um, there's a sense where Paul had wor worried greatly about them and the direction that they were headed. And so he just has some very passionate words to them this morning. And his desire is for them to embrace the freedom for which they were saved. Now, how many of us have ever seen um, a junk driver driving drunk or somebody on the side? Yeah, out of control. Somebody out of control on the side of the road, you know, on the road. Okay? Yeah, or some, well, not so much someone texting. I, I may be guilty of that one. We'll get that another day. <laughs> Confession booth over here later. Um, but this, this idea of someone who's a drunk driver or someone who's under controlled substance when they're driving, um, what, what do you feel inside your heart at that moment? Right? You're worried deeply for them, right? That they're going to do something destructive to them and also that they're going to do something destructive to other people. So there's a sense that you have that you just want to do something about it and you just want to intervene because you know that this might be what happens. If you want to pull the next slide up there, Sandy. Um, that, that there's going to be a crash. That something horrible is going to happen. And so that's the sense that Paul has here. So I want to get the context for this letter and also this chapter, and then this section of verses. So he's getting to the point where it's like, oh my goodness, this is going to be horrible. I'm so worried. And so that's where we have the sense of urgency. And he wants them to sober up and return back, get back on track. And we're going to look at our own lives today and see maybe where we've started to drift. And where we drift is into a thing called legalism. And how we have someone to intervene. And that's what these words are here today, to restore us back to the freedom we have in Christ. We'll touch on what draws us to legalism, what's so attractive to it at times, and then also learn ways that we can break free from it. So let's look at our passage here today. For those of you who have a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? 
Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you. There's that whole idea, I fear for you. I'm scared what's going to happen. That somehow, and then unfortunately he goes and says, I've wasted my efforts on you. Just like many of us would plead with that drunk driver. We couldn't even get in the car and help him to pull over, he or she to pull over. He goes on in verse 12, he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you do not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcome me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would, be torn, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you this truth? This truth? That's, again, he's speaking this. Please stop. Please stop. Those people are so zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want to do is to alienate you from us <clears throat> so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be all, so always, not just when I'm with you. And he finishes out with these really special words. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. So what I want to do is, there's a, there's a lot of verses here. We're just going to touch on a few key ideas that we see in here. And they really come in the chunks that we have. So in verses 8 through 11, Paul explains where he sees their, where they're at and reminds them of some things, of what was going on. So basically, the idea here is that they were slaves at one point in time. They were slaves to these old patterns. Their heart was gripped. Okay? And those of us who are now walking with the Lord, who have, have come to faith in Christ, think back to those days. What were those things that gripped your heart? What were the things that were those patterns in your life from which you've been freed? That's what he's asking them. He's asking them, really, Brian talked about the rearview mirror in terms of going back to the law, but this is looking back in their lives to say, look, look from where you've come. What was going on in your life at that time? And now he tells them they're no longer slaves. Okay? How many times sometimes do we act like we're no longer fit and that we're, we're just wanting to do things that we used to do before? He goes on in verse 9 to remind them that they know God and are known by him. God recognizes that them as worthy of intimacy with him and love from him. We sang just a few minutes ago just about this whole idea of he's got a place for us. We belong with him. So God chose him, chose us. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted them to remember that God took note of them. That he noticed them, even we know the verse that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we, before we began to change our behavior, do more Christian things, act more Christ-like, God noticed you. God noticed me. And he drew us into his family. He chose us. He selected us to receive the blessings. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what he did for us, which we'll be looking at at the end of our service today. Do you ever feel that somebody's noticed you? Those of you who are married, do you remember back in that day when she first caught your eye? Or maybe when he first caught your eye? What does that feel like? Felt pretty special, didn't it? I mean, those of us who are married are thinking, ah, yeah, that'd be nice. Let's do that again, right? Um, but there's just something about being noticed. There's something about being loved. There's something about someone who wants to give their life for you 
and spend the rest of their life with you. That's a special bond. Those of us who are married, many of us experience that. Here, what Paul's talking about is God noticed you. You started with him in this special relationship, and now you're going back to things that you were never designed to do. And then in the rest of verse 9 and verse 10, Paul continues to ask them in this incredulous way of, why are they doing that? Why are they going back? Why are they going back to these patterns? He calls them weak and miserable forces, um, which is a weird combination. It's basically, in the past, they were freed, so the, the forces no longer have strength over them. And they're miserable because when we fall into these patterns, it doesn't make us feel any better. That's what he's worried about. And what happens is he talks about this idea of we start this relationship with God, and as we sang just a few minutes ago, we're his children, we call him Father. We've been freed from the bondage of sin. So what I want you to think about just for a second is, imagine that you are a butterfly, and you want to go back and be a caterpillar. How crazy is that? <laughs> I'm sorry, I mean, some, some caterpillars are kind of fuzzy and cute and all like that, but butterflies are beautiful. And that's what's happened is, is that we've gone through this transformation that we talk about so often. We've been transformed. So imagine if you were a butterfly and you want to go back and be a caterpillar. This turning back is a sense of leaving this intimacy and love they're experiencing and go back to even a worse mental and moral condition. And if you think about it, those of us who walk with the Lord, what happens is in the past, sin didn't bother us as much, right? Because we weren't as aware of it. And then once we become a Christian, God makes us aware of our sin. If we go back into some of these patterns of just legalism, it's, it's not as much fun anymore. And then the same thing. In the past, there were some things that we would do to try to be accepted. And back then, we really hoped that they would work. And then once we're, our eyes are open and we see that there's nothing we need to do to be accepted, and we start doing these things again, the acceptance seems so far away. God seems so distant. So turning back is just even worse than when we were dead in our sins in some ways. And Paul finishes out this section of verse 11 by just in the end of the day throwing up his hands right in the air and saying, listen, I'm so frustrated, I feel like I've wasted my efforts on you. He felt that the time he spent with them was in vain. He didn't feel like there was any success or effort to the, to the time that he had spent talking with them and spending time with them. Now, those of us who are parents or those of us who are spouses or those of us who have close friends, um, sometimes we can just... How many of you have... Now, don't raise your hand. How many of you have just in your mind or maybe even with your words said, I'm done. I'm just done with you. I'm done. <laughs> I've had enough. I'm done. Right? So Paul's done. He's just done. But on the other side, how many of us have had that said to us? Or at least when somebody looks at us, you have a sense that they're done with us. I'm done with you. We're done. Right? So there's just, that's what's going on here. This is this tension that's going on. And I mentioned at the beginning, like, Paul is so distraught. He spends so much time, so much energy, so much relationship poured into them. He's seen them start to walk with Christ, and they're doing these things that are destructive to themselves and others. And he's like, oh my goodness. I can't do it anymore. I'm done. So those of us who felt that way, we know that that's not where we end. Right? Rarely are we really done, done, done. Okay? We kind of come to our senses. And those of us who have felt that somebody else is done with us, we kind of hope that they're going to come around and, and be patient with us and kind with us and forgiving for us. And that's what's going to happen here. In verses 12 through 17, Paul walks down memory lane, telling them how God brought them together, and he walks through all some of the major milestones of their relationship. 
There's a lot of details in there that it would be fun to read. Take some time and unpack some of those. But the whole idea here is, as Paul was saying, look, we connected. God opened your eyes the same way he opened mine. God loved you as a child the same way he loved me as a child. We experienced this brotherhood, this sisterhood. And now you're turning back on it. And in these verses, we could even say Paul was begging them, come back, come back. He wanted them to leave the rules behind, leave this religion behind, and just come back to the relationship. And he uses the words pleading with them. And that's where we see in verses 18 through 20, Paul's pleading with them to be free. Free from the tyranny of the law and enjoy all the benefits of the gospel that we looked at in the previous chapters. God's spirit, God's righteousness, God's blessing, adoption, inheritance, all these wonderful things that were in the previous chapters that are available to us in faith in Christ. So Paul expresses his own deep, heartfelt concern for them as his dear children. And then he goes as far, and you know, this is what he does. He calls himself as if he was a, a, a pregnant woman in childbirth for them. Now, those of you who are women, please, you know, I don't think any man ever has the right to do that, okay? So I, I think Paul might have crossed the line here, okay? Um, but what I believe, though, is, is that he was trying to explain just how far he was willing to go. Um, so in our... In our uh, in my relationship with Phyllis, Phyllis has had the opportunity to give birth to two of our children. Um, and then the first one, Jacob, who many of you have recently encountered. Um, during that process, unfortunately, Phyllis had to be induced for both of our children and had very long labors. And so um, I learned about ice chips and about holding hands. And at, at the time, ice chips really didn't start working anymore. You know, it was like, I've had enough ice chips. Okay? <laughs> and then she started holding my hand. And I, I'm sure I'm exaggerating here, she'll, she'll keep me honest, but I think there's still some marks left <laughs> during the time that Jake was born, many, many hours later. So when Paul talks about this childbirth, the concept is not so much the pain or the intensity that he's trying to identify with, but any mother who's given birth to a child knows they're just looking forward to the end. All they want to do is get to the end. They will hang in there through anything to see that child born. There's nothing that they won't endure. There's nothing that they won't say or do or think to get that child out and have a healthy child. And that's what Paul's saying here is, I will do anything to see Christ formed in you again. Anything. So the idea here is when he's talking about it, not just about enduring these labor pains until Christ has formed them, but it's a sacrificial love. Um, how many mothers here, again, we won't take hands, have reminded their children that, you know, um, all the pain that they endured in labor in order to bring them into this world, right? Well, why do they do that, right? Because what they're saying is, is that you were worth it. You were worth it. There's a lot I went through to do this. And of course, fathers say, look, I brought you into the world and what? I can take you out of it. Okay, that's the difference between mothers and fathers' love here. So I think Paul's more embodying the mother's love here, just so we're clear. But again, what he's saying is, is that, look, this is so important to me that I will endure any pain until the full image of Christ is seen into you, until you leave this bondage of rules, until you leave this legalism behind and come back and experience the freedom of relationship with my Father, with our Heavenly Father. We can't help but be moved by Paul's passion. He feels their pain. He struggles with the identity. He has a heart of a good mother who cares for her newborn. That's what he has. A heart of this mother. Now, legalism here is really what I want to talk about, because that's really what bleeds throughout this whole passage, this concept of legalism, which is a contrast, right? Legalism, at the end of the day, are, are rules bad? Let me just ask you, rules bad? No, 
Rules are not bad, okay? An overemphasis on rules, and particularly an overemphasis on following rules, is really what legalism is about. Versus a faith that's based upon God and what he's done for us. This is, legalism is basically having your faith based upon the things that you do and having God approve you for that or accept you because of that. And so what I want to do is just in my own life, and I thought about this, is that what is it that draws me to legalism? What's attractive about it? Because obviously we as Christians, who those of us who are walking with Christ, when we hear that we're legalistic, we think, oh, no, no, not really. So I began to look at my own life and say, what are the things that draw me back to legalism? What is it that's so enticing to me? At the end of the day, it distills down to a concept of simplicity. I like things simple. Okay? So legalism is relatively simple. Right? Legalism is black and white. It's about rules that we see on the surface. Relationships, on the other hand, they're not black and white. They're complicated. But they're colorful. It's just like the, the, the contrast you have here in the picture. Which picture is more vibrant and attractive to you. The one with color. And what happens is, is that I like the simplicity. I like these rules that I can measure myself and measure other people against. It helps me know how I'm doing, whether I'm doing good or bad. It helps me to know who else is doing good and who else is doing bad. It helps me to measure myself against other people. But it's not how God designed me to relate to him nor how he designed me to relate to you. Relationships are meant for love and about giving and receiving love. And love is very complicated. Now, there is something I want to just specify right here between love and between obedience and legalism. Because sometimes when I talk about these rules and following God and doing God's ways, those are not necessarily bad things. It's about sequence, okay? So that's the big thing I want to get away. Obedience is something you say or do because you're loved. You do it freely. Legalism is something you say or do because you want to be loved. You're doing it over and over again even until you're loved. So obedience is fine. That's what really God wants. He wants a heart of obedience. But he wants that obedience to come after we're loved. And this legalism is something that we get stuck in. We drift towards. Um, because we want to be performance-based. And it's something God never wanted. He wants us to experience love and then reciprocate it back to him, not try to earn it from him. So what are some of the telltale signs in our lives that we can see that maybe we're starting to drift towards legalism and back under the control that it can have in us? Now, one of the ways that I've seen is, in my own life, is comparison. Um, so we just start to compare ourselves to others. And not only that, but a quick aside, back to kind of differences between men and women. One of the things I discovered earlier in my marriage is that I didn't realize that women look at women more than men look at women. Now, I didn't think it was possible that women could look at women more than men look at women, <laughs> but it is. Women, can you attest? Can I get an amen? Amen. So why do women look at other women? Because they compare themselves. Now, men, you know, we, we have our own issues, okay? So I'm not, this is not a, <laughs> we have our own trouble particularly the men looking at women part, right? So, but what happens is, is that we have this propensity to compare ourselves to others. And not only that, but it, it gets to the point where not only do we compare ourselves and see that we don't measure up, we, we start getting to the point where 
we're actually happy when somebody doesn't look as good as we do. And we're happy when somebody doesn't perform as well as we do. Um, and we really don't get excited and can celebrate great things that are happening in somebody else's life. Okay? If you start to see those things happen in your heart, you're headed towards legalism. Okay? We, sometimes we actually think that God's approval is a competition. And there's a limited amount of it, and we need to fight for it. And we actually secretly hope sometimes that other people fail and are worse than we are. Rather than walking with people through struggles, we're actually glad to see them in them. Instead of celebrating people who accomplish great things, we at times silently hope that it doesn't work out for them. And what it tells it happened is it starts getting exhausting. And time after time again, we're sometimes riding this emotional roller coaster, comparing ourselves to others. So, notice we're not taking hands this morning. These are just kind of private moments that you can think through. Another way that we can notice we're headed towards legalism is when we at times make others believe that they must behave before they belong. We make, make sure that others behave before they belong. And this is one of the core components of legalism. They're the standards that we have in our lives. So how many people, when you grew up, they basically said, in our house, we do this. Or in our house, we don't do this, right? So if you're an Obot, Obots don't do this. Obots do this, right? Marentes in the Marente house, we don't do this. If you're a Marente, you don't do that. If you're a Marente, you do do this. Or you're Savoca. How many of you had those in your upbringing, right? And that's what we bring into our relationship with God, right? If you're a Christian, you don't, whatever. So I'll give you an interesting anecdote, because um, it's one that's maybe not as, as culturally relevant as it once was, but I will tell you an interesting story uh, about the history of our church. Um, our church used to right out front here have a variety of cigarette urnals. People basically, we'd have a longer break in the middle, and those, our service was almost about an hour and a half, almost two hours sometimes. We'd have a 15-minute break in the middle, and people would go out, and what do you think they would do? Right? And so you'd be like, oh, what, is, what is this all about? How can Christians, Christians don't, come on in, Ike. Happy to have you. <laughs> Christians don't come late to serve. We already knew, like, it's all good. So Christians don't come late to service. Christians don't smoke. Christians don't drink. They don't do what, so think in your mind, what are those things in your heritage, your Christian heritage, your walk with the Lord, whatever it is, that you think that, well, you, Christians don't do that. Okay? We bring that into our relationship. To the, now remember, there's a difference between obedience and legalism. Obedience is wanting to do, please God because of the way that we've been loved. Here, this is, what, what are the things that we just, as we look around to others, we want them to behave like us in order for us to accept them. So as you begin to kind of, it's not even judging other people, it's just holding people to a standard until they get to the point where we're at, until they see things like we do. Right? Till they treat people like we do, till they vote like we do, till they drive like we do, till they stop texting in the car like we do. Whatever it is. <laughs> so there's this sense where we just wonder, do we feel like others can't belong until they behave like us? And lastly, the thing I want to just ask is, and this is kind of a little Philly thing here, is if I ask you, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing spiritually? So if Pastor Brian or your small group leader or one of your 
friends in the ladies' Bible study or the men's Bible study came up and said, hey, Rich, how you doing? Hey, Andrew, how you doing? Spiritually. Brian, how you doing spiritually? Bob, how you doing spiritually? How do we answer that question? How we answer that question gives us a look into our hearts in terms of where we're at with this legalism. Some of us would answer, hey, talk about the things we're doing. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. Hey, I was praying. And we talk about these Christian performance metrics. How are we doing spiritually? Because those are the things that we look at in our lives. Like if I'm, you know, right with God, then I'll be doing all these right things that God wants me to do. Sometimes we also focus on, hey, I was over serving this people and doing this thing and I was helping out with this, helping out with that, right? We focus on either our Christian disciplines or we focus on our Christian service when we say how we're doing spiritually. But if someone asks you how you're doing spiritually, really what they want to understand is how is your actual relationship with God? How's your time with the Father? Are you experiencing his love? What new things are you discovering about him and yourself? So if the question, how you would answer that question, how you're doing spiritually, has more of this performance metrics, you're sliding towards legalism. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible, with prayer, with serving the community. We encourage those things. But again, it's a sequence. We do those because we've been loved. We do those because we experience intimacy with the Father. We don't do those to to want God to love us more or to care for us more, to bless us more, to do things for us more. We really want to break free. That's really our heart. So how do we break free from these struggles with legalism? Because that's what God wants. He wants us to leave legalism, but not leave him. Right? We want to break free from legalism by experiencing more of his love, the love that we can have, that we seek by what he's done, not by the things we're going to do. So what I want to do is I want to tell a story just real quick. So um, as many of you know, I have the opportunity to travel with my job. And I travel for the past four years, uh, usually at least one week a month. And for the past, oh my goodness, couple years now, uh, Phyllis and I have had the opportunity to, and we're not obliged to do this. In fact, if, if I don't do it one month and she doesn't do it one month, it's not like we miss out. But we've decided to write greeting cards to each other. Usually I'll hide one. Uh, on the kitchen table before I leave. I usually leave very early in the morning on Monday morning before she gets up, and usually she hides one in my suitcase. And we take those cards and we express the love that we have for one another, that we'll miss one another, that we care for one another, that we appreciate one another. Um, they're just an expression of love. And then what happens is, is that during the week, when I'm busy in the other side of the country doing different things, she can then open up that card and hear my voice and hear my expressions of love for her. And likewise for me is before I go to bed at night, I can open up that card and read it and just be comforted and understand that she loves me and that she cares for me deeply. So when we talk about what can we do to break free from legalism, it's about reading God's love letters to us and writing love letters to him. I don't know how many of you have journals, how many of you write letters to God, it's kind of a weird thing but minimally read his love letters to you. Learn more about the love that he has for you. Learn how much he's given himself for you. Learn how he loves you unconditionally. And he just, his love is so great. There's so many scriptures that you can read to understand the love that he has for you. So I encourage you to do that. And I want to end with a, just a, kind of another story, again, from my family. 
Um, my, uh, my son, who, my oldest son Jacob, many of you have, have come across recently, went through some, uh, was with a bunch of other um, men his age, he's in his, his 20s, and some others who were going through a, a training period. And in the course of the training that they were going through, there was a question that was asked of them. The question that was asked, of, it was just the men, the men were, uh, and the men were asked, how many of you have ever had your father tell you that you love them? How many of you have ever had your father say that they love you? And unfortunately, two-thirds or three-quarters of the room couldn't raise their hand. And so this love of fathers for their sons or love of fathers for their daughters across our culture and where we live right now is, is probably at an all-time low. And so when we talk about legalism and wanting to perform to be loved, we shouldn't be surprised when so many of us feel that way at times because we didn't experience that maybe growing up with our, from our own fathers, our own mothers. But I want to end with a fun little story about my two boys, Jesse and Josiah. Oftentimes, before we go to bed, sometimes we'll lay in bed or we'll just talk in their room, and I'll ask them the question, do I love you? Or why do I love you? Josiah, why do I love you? Jesse, why do I love you? And they answer, because I'm your son. Because I'm your son. And I ask them, is there anything that, you know, is there anything you need to do for me to love you? Is there anything you need to give me for me to love you? And they said, no. And what's great is that they understand that that's something that can never change. They will always be my son. And they will always experience my love. And that's the basis of it. So today, as we kind of wrap this up, this message, that's really what I want you to understand, is that once you're a child of God, his love for you is because you're a child. You're his child. It's not because you perform. It's not because you do certain things or say certain things that make him happy. Not that we don't love that as parents when our kids do that. But really what it is, we love them because they're our kids. And that's our heart's desire today. There is a, so many of you know how deep the Father's love is for us. And that's my heart's desire, is that we would experience the love of the, of the Father. And as we come to communion now, and the ushers could come up at this time, there's no greater expression of that love than at the cross. And what I want to do is just take a moment, and as the ushers hand out the elements, I just want you to be quiet. We're going to be quiet. And we're going to think about the love that God has for us and the way that he's expressed that love through the cross. If that's something you've never experienced before, I hope that this communion experience will be an opportunity for you to become a child of God and experience his love. If those of you who have experienced God's love, please just take time and reflect on it and what it means for you.